Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Logistics of Logistics. I interview experts from transportation, logistics, warehousing and fulfillment, the technology guys, supply chain guys, and a million specialized services. And I have two goals for every one of my podcasts. My goal is for my audience to learn something. So I want the listeners to be able to say, I learned something. So I ask real basic questions. I assume not all of us are technologists. I assume all of us don't know about all these bases. Secondly, my goal is for my expert that I interview to come off well. I want I want you to see and hear somebody who is at their best. I want them to be able to tell their story, share their expertise, and hopefully gain some favorable attention. And who knows, they might even win some business. Today's topic is why packaging matters with my friend Philip Axar. I met Philip at the Manifest Conference in Vegas in late January, early February. Great guy. Very interesting story about him and his business. And so stick around. I know some of you are saying, I don't care about packaging. I'm a logistics guy or I'm a transportation guy. Packaging matters. And if you stick around, you'll learn why. But it really is the building block of logistics and transportation. It's a good way to save money. It's a good way to improve a lot of things that can go wrong with our shipments. So take a listen. Philip's a very interesting guy, and I think you're going to learn something. Before we get to Philip, I want to talk to you about my friends over at Tusk Logistics. That's T-U-S-K logistics.com. And what they do at Tusk is they are a small parcel shipping network, and they can save you 40%. E-commerce guys, warehouse guys, if you do a lot of small parcel shipping, you're using UPS, FedEx, USPS, Tusk can save you 40%. 40% on your small parcel shipping. And the way they've done that is at Tusk, they've put together a network of regional small parcel players. So these are companies that are already established in the market, already do a really good job in their region, and Tusk has tied them together with some tech, top technology. So you get really good service, probably better than you get with the big guys. You also save 40% and you get world-class technology. It's a can't-lose scenario. So if you're an e-commerce guy, if you're a warehouse guy, check them out at tusklogistics.com. Right at the top, it says get started. Check them out. So how's it going, Philip? Hey, Joe. It's going great. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. Please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Phil Baxar. I'm the founder and CEO of ARCA, based in Austin, Texas. And ARCA helps 3PLs auto-replenish packaging when they need it. Interesting. Well, what do you mean by auto-replenish packaging when they need it? Yeah, so we've we've built an API. Our API will connect to any warehouse management system, so any WMS with just one click. We'll listen to that data, and when a warehouse is getting low on the packages that they use to ship products out on behalf of their merchants... We'll send them a message saying, hey, you're, you're running low, or we'll just send them a PO. Their warehouse management system, it'll automatically update with like a ship notice or a WRO or an ASN. So then on their end, they just see, oh, I'm clearly running low because warehouse receiving just got notified that we've got, you know, six pallets of a 10 by 8 by 4 craft RSC coming in. That's awesome. No need to walk the warehouse floor. No need to, you know, flip through a catalog or pick up the phone to order more packages or update your WMS. We automate the entire thing. Interesting, interesting. So I want to cover a few terms you use. So API, I would say that's the glue that connects you to the next system. So what system do you connect to? So specifically, we'll be connecting to their warehouse management system, depending on what they use, uh, whether it's like a 
you know, a ship. I, I don't, should I name drop some folks that are out there? Like it doesn't matter. In, in terms ahead. of examples. I mean, whether they use like a ship hero or a whiplash or a DePosco. Softy has been on my podcast a few times. So it could be any of those guys. Correct. So you connect and you connect to that system through an API. And what do you do with, so what do you do when you get that data? So when we get that data, we'll do something called like catalog mapping where we have, you know, pretty much every package under the sun that's listed in our catalog. We'll map it to the packages that they use at their warehouse. Those are typically tied to some sort of SKU by way of automation rule, like on their own. This this has nothing to do with us. This is, this is just how warehouses work. They'll be able to connect product, meaning whatever SKU they have, to a package that gets sent out the door. We'll just pair those with what we're offering to make sure that we're using the same language because brown box to one person might mean something else to another person. We just make sure that those are all completely matched. And then once they hit below a certain threshold, say you've got a thousand boxes that are 10 by eight by four, when they hit 200, we'll send them another thousand boxes. That's essentially how it works. So when we when you talk about packaging, you mean the boxes that we send stuff in. So are you normally selling to shippers or like the uh, electronics company or are you selling to 3PLs? So we sell to both in the sense that a 3PL works with many shippers, works with many merchants, and they'll be able to, you know, grant permission on supplying that packaging to a number of merchants and a number of shippers. In that same light, any merchant can, can just go to arca.com, select a package, brand it with their logo and check out. They can connect us with their 3PL if they want it to be on, you know, autopilot to be auto replenished. It's really, it really just depends on, on the, on the use case at hand, but we like to go after 3PLs so that we can service their entire suite of merchants that they're working with. Yep. And when, before we hit record, I asked you a lot of logistics and supply chain people listen to my podcast. Now, some, if you're a shipper, you're always worried about boxes, right? But a lot of the transportation logistics guys say, I don't care. They put that box on a pallet and we'll move it. And I asked you why, why, we should care. And you said, have you ever received something in e-commerce and opened the box and it's a huge box and way bigger than what it needed to be? And you said, that is one of the problems. So elaborate. Yeah, absolutely. So that can happen for a number of reasons. One of those reasons might be that you're a merchant, you have your product at a warehouse, they're fulfilling on your behalf. Fulfilling meaning pick, pack, and ship. They send it on, on your behalf to to your customers if you if they run out of let's say a set size of packages that they use for everybody i'm just talking about like plain brown boxes at a warehouse so i'm talking to three pls now so listen up if you're if you're using like a suite of call it 10 to 15 box sizes that you have at your warehouse that you fulfill for all your merchants you might run out of one and you'll be forced to put a product in a package that's you know let's say a size bigger or two sizes bigger whatever's available that's just what you're going to be left to do you won't have a choice. And this is going to have negative rippling effects throughout the rest of your supply chain. You're paying more for that box. You're paying more to ship that box because of the volumetric weight. There's not going to be as much customer satisfaction if, if you're somebody that opens the package and you're like, what is this? There's like a ton of trash in this package stuffed around my tiny product. You're going to fit less on the back of your truck. So freight, that's not going to be optimal. And then not to mention your carbon footprint. I mean, that's not the right message that you want to be sending to the folks that are going to be working with you, the folks that are going to be partnering with you, the folks that want to be using your services. So if you want to be able to save not only on that space, if you want to be able to spend less when getting products out the door, we should totally talk because that's something that we care about and that we're actually obsessed over. Yep. And by the way, before we hit record, we were talking 
And one of the things I said is I'm, I'm from automotive originally. And automotive spends less on logistics and transportation as a percentage of revenue because they have a lot of packaging engineers and they really go through and they also have enormous volumes. So, But when they load a truck, they know that we've put as many of those components as we could on that truck. They've designed it not only for the manufacturing and for the end user but and the tooling, but they've also considered how is going to pack into a truck. Not only how, so we got to worry about the packaging to make sure I'm not having too big a box. Because if you think about, it, I'm sending hundreds and hundreds of truckloads a month of that product, and let's just say my all my boxes were 10% too big or 5% too big. Now all of a sudden I'm, I'm in a jam. So if you're a transportation logistics guy and you're constantly being called on the carpet, and I shouldn't say it that way, but it's kind of what it is. Save us money, save us money, save us money. Walk, walk through the warehouse, walk through the assembly plants and see what's going on. And if you find out that, hey, we're using we're using really big boxes for small stuff sometimes. And and by the way, I'll hit on one other thing. Inventory. So if you've got ten different boxes and you're kind of trying to order them without a tool, without a process, without a technology, you're gonna have a whole bunch of boxes sitting there on your shelves gathering dust and cost of inventory starts to add up. Absolutely. Not only are you paying for that space on the warehouse floor, but recently I was talking to another 3PL. I was talking, talking to this company called Bulu Box, and they were talking about how some of the 3PLs they work with, they're also paying for the space on the truck. Sometimes they'll just park the truck outside of the warehouse. $500 a month you're paying for that. So forget about just like the square footage of the pallets that are sitting there. Yeah. But if you're not getting stuff off the floor, it's, it's, it's paying rent to sit there. By the way, one of the first times I went through just a warehouse, warehouse, and just, I shouldn't say just a warehouse, but one of my first, somebody said, are you familiar with how warehouses work? I go, sort of. And he goes, our main job is to st- take things out of big boxes here, put them into smaller boxes here, <laughs> seal it up, and ship it. <laughs> and I go, because that's that's the majority of our work. And I go, that doesn't sound so hard. He goes, he goes it doesn't sound that hard. He goes, but if you don't have the right size box, if you don't have the right mailing, if you don't put the right address on, and we've gotten really good at this, but you said it before we hit record, that is the customer experience. If I buy something at a store, they go out of their way to greet me, serve me, and ideally build a little relationship with me as I'm buying something. If I'm buying something via e-commerce, it comes in a box. And if it comes in a box that is way too big, my first thought is, well, these guys don't care about the environment. I mean, not all of us want to throw – I have to throw that box into my garage. Right? <laughs> That's where they all go. And uh, it's huge, and there was no reason for it to be that huge. And then if for whatever reason it seems like eh, this is a shabby box that this came in, my customer experience is different. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you won't want to share it. Like if I could just speak to the shippers for a, sh- for a second. You're sending a message of whether there's messaging on the package or not when you send your package with the product inside that you sold to your customer. And nobody's going to be sharing the unboxing experience of something that looks shabby. I mean, it's just it's just the shallow truth. So just make sure that whatever you are sending to your customers is in line with your ethos, and that's an opportunity. Like, one thing that folks don't do is they, look at, they don't look at packaging as marketing spend. They just look at it as, like, logistics and shipping spend. It's marketing spend. You could put whatever you want on that package. We don't have any restrictions with that respect. So if whether it's 
you want to be able to put some sort of promo on there, whether you want to sample a product on there, whether you want it to go to your socials, whether you want it to automatically share, whether you want to tell the story of your company, the story of you as the founder, whatever it is, that's a missed opportunity if you're not going after it and look at it as marketing spend. So for a few cents more to change that, when you're already looking at your cost of customer acquisition, when you're spending thousands of dollars on on social and, and Google, why not take the extra step when it comes to the thing that has a 100% open rate? And that's the package. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, you hit on that. I'm, I know there's, we're, we're developing more and more of a science around this stuff, but you ever open up a box and it's got a whole bunch of flyers to sell you more stuff? And some of it you go, you know, this is nice and glossy and you can see somebody spent some money on it, but you don't want it either. And so you're like, I guess I should just throw this out with the box or it always feels to me like, why did you give me this? Why did you put me in this weird position? Now, if I wanted it, I wanted it. If, if, if I say, hey, I want to buy from these guys, I want to buy more of this, this is something valuable. If it just feels not valuable to me, which by the way, that's the majority it just feels like you just delivered more garbage to my house. More trash. Yeah, and I thanks. don't want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, we have to really think about this. And again, I think that if you're a transportation guy, if you're a logistics guy, you might think this isn't my problem. But it all is our problem because we're in an end-to-end business now. And if if your customer says, I want to save money, say, hey, look, we'll do everything we can to negotiate good rates with good carriers. We'll do this. We'll do that. But Go a little upstream. Find out if they're not wasting some money on the warehouse stuff. And that's, by the way, I'm always a big believer. You want relationships that allow you to have that conversation, not just give me a cheap truck. (laughs) No, no, no. No, no, no. Relationships. I mean, you know, this is so important in our space because it's a massive industry, but it's a very small world. But the problem is always upstream. That's why we got to have relationships. So, Philip, I want to talk. By the way, I met Philip at Manifest. We had a good talk there, and uh, we were talking before we hit record. Manifest was a blast, a blur, but a blast. Um, and you had some interesting insights. So, what, what did you think about Manifest? Yeah, I thought it was great. It was probably one of the best conducive to collaboration and networking conferences that I've been to. I liked that there were breakout groups. I liked that there was an opportunity to connect with people. It wasn't, it didn't feel clicky. It didn't feel like I'm going to someone's, you know, reunion where some of these do do feel like that. Don't get me wrong. I felt great about reuniting with so many people that I hadn't seen in a while, but it wasn't just about that, you know, packed of people. There were so many new people that I met. I felt like, I felt like I was, and I really enjoyed it. I did some interviews there. I felt like I was always thrown in with another group of people that opened my eyes to some things. I mean, I Something spent else, a lot yeah. of time with shippers. And by the way, I know they're going to be even more shippers next year. It's a big focus for next year, but really enjoyed the time. So, Philip, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started this company. I want to understand why did you start this company? What hole did you see in the market? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, you asked for it, so I'll start from the top. <laughs> so, born in San Francisco. I'm first generation born. My folks immigrated from the Middle East in like the 70s. I was born in San Francisco, raised in the Bay Area, Marin County, uh, went to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, where I studied industrial engineering, industrial manufacturing engineering. That was great. So sustainability was a part of my vocabulary, not even by choice, very early on in my career. And it was great. I think it's paid off ever since. Cut my teeth at Boeing Aerospace up in Seattle. I worked in the CAS lean offices, commercial aviation services. 
that was wonderful, but it was also not what I wanted to do. I wanted to have higher impact, a smaller company that I could scale. So then I went and I worked for a smaller YC-backed startup called iCracked. They exited several years later. I ended up going through Y Combinator myself. Wait, uh, for those who don't know what Y Combinator is, please explain what that is. Because it it's been a while since somebody from Y Combinator has been on my podcast. At least two months. Yeah, I know. Y Combinator, or otherwise known as YC, is a premier accelerator program that unbrainwashes you from the typical business insights that you might be getting in the right or wrong places. I think it's an excellent alternative to an MBA. You're given a small amount of seed money to get your idea off the ground or to keep the momentum and traction going. Companies like Airbnb, Stripe, and Dropbox had come out of it. It happens in Silicon Valley. It's a three-month program. And you're, you work closely with advisors who are other entrepreneurs that have um, worked, worked in the space to, to help you and guide you get things going. It was wonderful. It was one of the best experiences I've yeah, ever had. And you had to apply to get in that. And I think it's got, what, like a 1% acceptance rate? Like a 0.01%. It's, it's ridiculous. It's harder to get into than Harvard. And I didn't get into Harvard. So cool <laughs> right. that I got into YC. So that's telling. So And then they also invest in the companies that they take through their accelerators. So when you come out the other side, you kind of have a little bit of credibility that the average startup wouldn't have. You do. You absolutely do. And so with that, we, we from there got like our first check for ARCA. We're lucky enough to work with Tony Shea. He, he was an early believer in the company. We don't all know Tony, to so who is he? <laughs> yeah. Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos, the founder and CEO of Zappos, which eventually got acquired by Amazon. And I would argue Amazon holding the benchmark of what it means to give good customer service and the expectations of what a customer might have to get a product that they ordered online. A lot of that come, came from Zappos and Tony and Tony's team. He wrote the book Delivering Happiness, which has a lot to do with customer satisfaction and what it means to, you know, send something online. It, I'm I'm paraphrasing. Did he just pass away? Yeah, he. I believe he passed just just over a year ago. Yeah, weird, um, weird situation. I was so, so sorry to hear that. I had some friends that were especially close to him. I was lucky enough to just call him a mentor, and I would see him once a year. Brilliant man. But friends of mine were very who were very close to him uh, sorely miss him. Like they. They mean a lot to, he meant a lot to the people who knew him well. So you started this company, but what, what problem did you see that wasn't being addressed? And what, so what does ARCA do? Also work in what, what does ARCA mean for those of us who didn't know what that means? <laughs> yeah. That so means. like a meaning of ARCA, it, it technically means like a chest to hold something precious for Which is the box Catholic listeners out there. It's, it's the box that the Eucharist rests, rests in. But really, the, the whole point is, is the, like the overarching meaning for this is if you yourself, you're a shipper, your product is like your baby, and that goes inside of a box, and that box or that Arca is something that holds something precious, it holds a treasure, and that's what we're trusted with providing. Therefore, we wanted that name to show that we, that we mean business. Is that tied to the Ar- Ark of the Covenant? or um... It is. That's, that's exactly what it means, okay. like the Ark of the Covenant. And Noah's Ark? <laughs> Uh, technically maybe, actually maybe. also as well, yeah. right? Because it holds something precious. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's a lot of ways you can use it with that respect. But in this one in particular has to do with the products that, that folks ship for their, for their so customers. So what did you see? What problem did you see that wasn't being addressed by the, uh, industry? Well, first it was just, why is it so difficult to get packaging? And therefore we built Arca.com, which is a way to select a package, brand it with your logo and check out. So for any shippers listening, 
that's a very easy way for you to get your packaging instead of having to, you know, Google packaging providers or use like the big catalog providers out there to get your packaging that can take weeks to hear back from someone. But with that, we recognize that this is a Trojan horse for something much bigger. And that's where the API comes in. So the API, which connects to any warehouse management system, will allow 3PLs to auto-replenish their packaging. I mean, that's the big picture here because that affects shippers as well. I was lucky enough to get involved on that section of the business, which is now the predominant side of the business, the part that we want to scale the most, by connecting with two founders who have already scaled their own warehouse management systems. And that's James Marks, the founder and former CEO of Whiplash, which sold to Port Logistics and then Ryder. And then Nick Daniel Richards, the founder and former CTO of Ship Hero. So they've been on every um, keystroke of code that the API has been built. And I'm super fortunate to call them advisors and, and close friends of the company. And with them, I've felt absolutely unstoppable to get us to the next stage. So getting back to the first thing you said, which is you can help shippers. So I, let's just say I make mobile phone covers because that's the first thing I saw. I have a mobile phone cover and I say, uh, and I'm, I'm getting these from Mexico or from India or China somewhere. They come to port and I need to get these into, a, they came in in a giant box and then I've now I have to put them into a smaller box, which is what warehousing does. And what, I just give you the dimensions and I say, hey, look, I went on your on your website and I found a box this size. How do I know that's the right size? We actually have an inserts page where you can put the dimensions of your product and it'll give you an optimal size package to be able to brand or not just like select that package and check out. We allow sampling, like you could do one fully branded to make sure that it is actually the right size. You can just get one box and... If you place a larger order, we'll actually refund you that one box that you bought. And it's only 20 bucks to get a fully branded box as a sample. But then from there, you can buy a So that's like 10. the prototype. I like that because... Um, we prototype. In effect, this if I paid an extra 10 cents per box for some reason, I that's 10 cents that I just lost, right? And then you, if you might advise me, hey, Joe, you could get in this smaller box and it would save you 10 cents, which might be a lot of margin at the end of the year. Absolutely. I mean, it all adds up. And, and really, you know, packaging at the end of the day, it's a commodities business. We're not trying to wave the flag of like, oh, our boxes are so much cheaper than everyone else. That's, that's not the way to add value. That's not the way to win. Of course, we produce packaging that is affordable. Rather, we source packaging that is affordable. But it really comes down to this, like the ease of use, the peace of mind that you have of being able to just create something quickly, iterate, prototype, and then iterate again. And then if you're a 3PL, to, to have one less thing to worry about is, is even more insane. So um, we're proud So of kind of one segment of your business is shippers who say, I sell this phone cover. I want to go on your site and I can. So let's just say. Totally I, self-serve. I pick that and it's self-serve. But what if I say, look, I'm going to need a certain amount of these every month. Now, do I connect to you uh, via that API? So you would just connect us to your 3PL. We would connect to their API. You, we also have a subscribe and save function on our website if you wanted to if you wanted to just order however much you need at whatever time because remember if you think about it the merchant doesn't care that they're going to get like some excess packaging sent to their warehouse it's the warehouse that has to be very tight with the amount of space that they use and therefore they they need like demand-based replenishment they want to make sure that they, their work in progress is low they have high throughput and that they're making money right like the three goals of the goal goal dreads book right so when i go to that 3pl why are you better than the average packaging company? 
So, I mean, what they're going to be doing with your average packaging company is is a process of VMI. They'll walk the warehouse floor. They'll count how many boxes they have. They'll write that down somewhere. So, before you go any further, what is vendor, VMI, vendor managed inventory? What does that mean? Vendor managed inventory is essentially when someone comes in and counts how many boxes you have left, at least with respect to packaging. They'll come in and they'll just see, okay, you've got, you know, one pallet left. You should probably re-up on these packages pretty soon. But that's it. Like that's that's not a science, right? Whereas with us, like we're actually connecting to your WMS to understand your how consumption many boxes and your you usage, used. so that we can forecast this is when you need more and this is how many you should be ordering next time, based on the empirical data, instead of having somebody do that at the warehouse and needing to make those calculations on the fly, and then having to manually update their warehouse management system. We just we do it with one click. Yeah, it's it's vendor managed inventory. We see it being used by the most efficient, I'll say most oh, efficient and most effective supply chain. So I drink a ton of Diet Coke. And for those watching video, I, I'm holding it up. If you go over to Walmart or Kroger or Meyer by my house and get, I buy a few six packs of Diet Coke, put them in. As soon as that goes through their system saying, Joe just bought three six packs, they know we, we're three, three six-packs closer to having to go over there and deliver more Diet Coke. And at some point, they're going to get a trigger to their team and say, go, deliver this many of this kind, this many of this kind. But I think in many cases, Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whoever it might be, is actually responsible for that whole aisle where their product is being sold. So we see this in action every day, but we don't always say it. So... Getting back to it, VMI for the warehouse. How so? You're connecting to the warehouse management system the same way as Coke might connect to Kroger, and getting signals. And where you say, "Hey, they're going through a hundred of these boxes a day. Sure. Yeah, and we need to send them some by the end of the week because they're going to be short." Exactly. And that that helps me avoid emails, phone calls, a whole bunch of guesstimates by by maybe the purchasing team or the ops team, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the time. And if you look at it, it's averaging roughly 30 minutes per brand per month. And that 30 minutes has an hourly rate tied to it. And that hourly rate that you pay someone at the warehouse, they're supposed to bring you back triple that amount. So we make it simple. We have an ROI calculator that takes multiple things into account from the number of SKUs you have to the number of locations to how far you ship to number of shipments per day. We get all that and then we say, hey, look, we're saving you this much. It's really a no-brainer from that point for 3PL. Yeah, when we look at warehouses, warehouses are getting more and more specialized. So those warehouses are now having to do omni-channel. So I might have, I mentioned my phone covers, I might have this phone cover being shipped individually as e-commerce to a home, but I might also be selling some to Best Buy and some to Walmart. When I'm selling them that way, I'm going to need different boxes. And it's it's going to always be difficult to figure out what I need. So I need somebody kind of connected to me. And this, by the way, before we hit record, I was asking you, why would a VC invest in a packaging company? Because they don't, I I use this, but it's over-exaggerated. I said, VCs hate the physical world. They only like data. And you said they they invest because they like the idea of this is one more place that we're digitizing the supply chain. So we're always filling up one more hole in the supply chain that's that's manual. 
that's not automated. Exactly. I mean, especially with, with how, like, nothing against VMI, but we're replacing a process that's older than the fax machine. So if you're looking at something that was been, that's been the same way for the last half century, our whole thing is, well, it's, it's not a, if it's not broken, don't fix it. It's actually broken. It's very broken. The negative rippling effects that it has throughout the rest of the supply chain, on a one-to-one basis, you might say, who cares? But we're talking about every physical product shipped. So in that respect, it's devastating. So we're, we're excited to be able to help fix that problem and, and provide some insight. You're automating vendor-managed inventory. So it's still vendor-managed inventory. It's just now it's automated. And by the way, you can pretty much be rest assured nobody from Coke is stopping by and counting <laughs> product at any location. They are all connected in a way that says, and I, I, I suspect, they don't know this, I suspect they kind of got a cadence where they say, we know we got to fill up every Thursday at that location. So maybe that makes it a little easier, but that's different, right? We we don't all have we don't all have that that uh, that advantage. <laughs> no, not everyone has the insight of Coca Cola. Like that's the thing. Like we're bringing you the insight of Coca Cola, whether you're like a small shipper, a big shipper, a self fulfiller, or a big three PL. Like that is that is something that you can have at least a little bit of peace of mind for, which is your must have on the packaging side. Yep. So I'm going to run out of time at the bottom of the hour. I'm losing you. So tell me this. Like, walk me through a process of how I, starting at the warehouse through a product and that when, when you might get how, how they would work with you. Totally. First things first, what WMS are you on? You log in with your credentials. You get your WMS connected. From there, you're, you pull your packaging data, like whatever data you might have. And then we'll do something just called catalog mapping where we'll take the packages that you're using right now and connect them to the packages that we offer. We'll offer every package under the sun, but we need to be able to speak apples to apples. Like a brown box means one thing to one person. A brown box means another thing to another person. Is you it need a literature to understand mailer? what they're using. Yeah. Is it an RSC? Like, what is it? Wait, what's an RSC? A rolling slotted carton, which is like the same box that you get from like an Amazon. It pops up the front. Whereas like a RELF, roll and lock front, is like the subscription box that opens at the very front of the box instead of the top of the box. It just looks like a treasure chest. So, you know, rectifying those things are important. What's the thickness? Is it B-flute or is it C-flute? That just has to do with, like, the corrugated waves in between the pieces of paper, for those of you that are listening, just to know what that means. Once those are paired, we just we, we call it pairing, we just pair those, we'll be able to identify that package when it pops up in your WMS. And when it pops up in your WMS, where something has been shipped, we'll note a detriment from that principal amount that you had in the first place, meaning... A box goes out the door, that means a box is out of the pile. We can say that for sure. Interesting. So basically the real value you provide is that you've again you've automated something that was traditionally not automated. And probably in most locations it's not automated. At some point I don't know some- any locations where it's automated. Like there there are some places that are here's the thing. Okay, I will say this. There are some places that are small that they might connect like an Excel sheet to Zapier and they only have like four SKUs and they'll be able to get a pretty good count of their packages. First of all, that's not everybody. And second, there's still the missing piece of having that turn into a purchase order to a packaging provider, confirmation of that purchase order, automating an update on the WMS. Like that part is just not built anywhere. Nobody's built that. That requires two sides of the table to be built. You can build tools from here to the other side of the country as much as you want to make sure you have good visibility at your warehouse. But the question is, who's reading that? 
And there are no packaging providers out there that are reading that. That's where we come in. Yep. And by the way, it, I, I spent a lot of time doing lean and value stream mapping. When you walk through facilities, what you're looking for all the time is what is the inventory that's sitting on the shelf? And a lot of times it's boxes. And and you say, well, that's the box we used to use for blank. Used to use. Using, that's the key yeah. word. And it's got dust on it, and you go, we'll throw it out. Well, no, because you never know. And there's always that. that. And by the way, from, from my perspective, I don't want my team to be forced to use a box that's non-standard. I don't want that to happen because, again, this at some point, outside of the warehouse, there's a customer experience. And I don't want that customer experience to be off. So I need to have the right boxes. And by the way, uh, the guys at Throughput... Ali Raza, those guys have been on my podcast a number of times. They tell me that 30% of what we make never gets sold, never gets to the end consumer. And you think about that. That's a ton of food that we grow that goes bad before it gets to the consumer. That's a ton of stuff that gets built and put on a shelf in a warehouse and never gets shipped. And that's a problem. So when we talk about sustainability, we need to start talking about the inventory problems we have. And by the way, guys... Inventory carrying costs are probably higher than transportation costs in most cases. So we need to start looking. We need to, absolutely there. So we need to start looking at our supply chains and saying, don't just look in your own little piece of the world, which is over the road trucking or I'm a fulfillment guy. We need to start looking at the order from order to cash and then reduce that time down and take all the waste out. So, before we go, your sweet spot is who? Three PLs, if you're doing between 25 to 50 million, and then the 50 million plus. If you're a smaller 3PL, we can still chat. And you mean, you mean warehousing 3PLs, right? Warehousing. So folks that do pick, pack, and ship, if you're shipping products under 100 pounds, we should 100% talk. If you are a direct-to-consumer merchant operating out of North America, we should absolutely talk. Nice, nice. So I asked you this before. I, I I warned you. So I like to interview smart, interesting people like yourself. Who should I have on my podcast and why? Yep. So Joe Spizak, he's he's the man. He's also here in Austin, Texas. He's the founder of Fulfill.com. And he actually connects businesses to other fulfillment centers. So they are a 3PL marketplace for warehouse services. Oh, so I didn't know So if you're a 3PL, you can them. get listed on there. And they will connect you to the merchants that need your services. Because there's a lot out there. And it's difficult from a merchant's point of view. Like, who do I go with? Who do I pick? Joe's company will make sure that you get the right pairing. Also, when you think about it, before e-commerce, if somebody said, where should I put my warehouse? I'd say, well, put it in Indiana. It's, it's You're the 65% of the population in one day and the rest in two days or so. When we talk about same day, next day, which is a lot of where it seems like it's moving to, I might have to have multiple locations. And that's why I always think definitely you definitely want to find somebody who's got the same technology in multiple places. But if anyway, that wasn't the case, Amazon would have bought the entire state of Indiana by now. I just covered it with <laughs> one giant warehouse. So yeah. Yeah, don't don't tempt them. <laughs> so Right? That's a possibility. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. And yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Joe. What, what conference? I know I saw you at Manifest. I'm sure I'll see you next February at Manifest. I think, I think, and they don't hold me to this, but I heard. I'll 100% be at Manifest again. You, you tell me what's next. Well, 
I did hear, talk to Courtney, and I don't even know that this is announced, but I think they're doing, they'll be in Las Vegas the same week just before the Super Bowl. Super Bowl's on Sunday. I think the conference is so, so we can all hang around and gamble. But anyway, I will see you there. But what other conferences will I see you at? Right now, it's absolutely up in the air. I can send an updated list of conferences that I'm going to be going to. But you guys get to, you or your team get to all the conferences? I try to go to them. This is our first year, like post-seed funding. So I'm like, okay, we can afford to go to a conference here and there. (laughs) I did Shop Talk last year. It was wonderful, except this year, proud to say I'm going to be in a triathlon. So I'm going to miss Shop Talk. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I'm excited for that. How how far is it the regulation course? So there's the sprint course, the Olympic course, and the Ironman. We're doing an Olympic course. So it's going to be a mile of swim, which I just did yesterday to test my time. You have a maximum of 70 minutes in the water. I was able to do it in 45, which is actually still kind of slow. And then it's a 26-mile bike ride and then a six-mile run. So it'll be fun. It's in Hawaii. It's called the Lava Man. You run around a volcano. How's that? Yeah, that's. I always call that what you just described as kind of the standard one now. But um, that's a killer. That's a killer. I did a... I did um I did one of those a long time ago. I won't be doing any more. I got hit by a truck. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. I I can jog. <laughs> so yeah, one of my, my team said it was karmic retribution when I got hit by the truck. <laughs> Why? Was it a comp- did they work for a freight forwarding company that you didn't that you didn't get on your pod? I, I said like it that. was a it was a it was like a vehicle truck, so Oh okay, got it. Got it. But anyway, it it was really great talking to you. I love what you're doing. And again, I I think you guys are one of those one one more place where there's a little hole in the supply chain. And I love that you're filling it up because I think we need to get rid of all of these manual processes. Don't well, we? first off, we got to do a better job with our data, but we also have to get rid of all these manual things. And I think this is this is an opportunity to to do better, have better data, and make better decisions, and have a whole lot less inventory sitting around and having the wrong inventory sitting around. So I love what you guys are doing. Yeah, we're about minimizing waste. And thank you for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. Love your. Yep. Call. Yep. Thank you so much, and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.